And so for you to produce a funnel for whatever industry you're working with and say, hey, Mr. or Ms. Client, you're going to have 100, 200, 300 of your prospects. They're going to listen to your message for 45 minutes. And you're going to take them through a journey of sharing your background and your story. And throughout that journey, people are going to end up liking you and trusting you. And if you have an amazing offer, a percentage of those people are going to take advantage of the offers. Welcome to Fascinating Entrepreneurs. How do people end up becoming an entrepreneur? How do they scale and grow their businesses? How do they plan for profit? Are they in it for life or are they building to exit? These and a myriad of other topics will be discussed to pull back the veil on the wizardry of successful and fascinating entrepreneurs. I've written a book, a memoir that starts with my challenging upbringing with all the twists and turns and inflection points, including saving my company due to the pandemic. It will be published this year, so please go to natashamiller.co and sign up on my mailing list so you're the first to know when it's available. Elias Zepeda started his business at a very young age. After mastering his craft and renaming his company, he now has a thriving, more mature business that helps people get leads and paying customers. Now let's get right into it. My path to entrepreneurship was really an interesting one because I started the company at such a young age. And so when people ask me, how did you start the company? I really wish I had an amazing story, but really it kind of happened by accident. I was working as a manager at a marketing company. And really what happened is the client, we were doing direct sales and marketing for a newspaper conglomerate. And we were doing hiring and managing marketing representatives at special events. And so that was my job is to manage and build a promotional representative team that was at special events selling newspaper subscriptions. And really what happened is I learned that my boss was not really as ambitious as I was. And I, at such a young age, I realized that I had more of a drive than the owner of the company. And I realized that I was probably being held back. And so it was actually the client, the client that in a meeting said, Hey, what happened to this specific event and this project that you solidified? And I said, Hey, we're still waiting on, it was something trivial, like a COI. It was a certificate of insurance for a kiosk deal that I had set up within my first like six weeks of working with that company. I set up a year long kiosk partnership and then the owner of the company was really delaying for some reason. I don't know why, but it was delaying a very long time for it. And he said, this guy's holding you back. I'd be happy to offer you your own contract, but that means you're going to have to have your own corporation. And so if that's something you're interested in doing, I'd be happy to do that. I don't really like your boss and I think he's holding you back. And how old were you at this time? I was 20 years old. It was kind of scary for me. I remember I called my father and I asked for his advice and I said, should I do it? I I don't really know what I'm doing. I think it's a cool opportunity, but is my boss going to hate me? And he did. He really did. He actually came to the house and (laughs) was knocking on my door and I'm like hiding in my bedroom. That's the genesis of how I started the company. I obviously said yes. And I had that contract with that newspaper conglomerate for a total of three years. And it was amazing. And hope I'm not aging myself, but the newspaper was still a thing back then. People were still reading the newspaper, but slowly year after year for the three years that I had that agreement, it was declining and declining. And people would say, hey, I don't care what incentive you have. I read my newspaper online. And so after three years, that relationship and that client partnership terminated. But 
it was amazing because I learned so much, but that's the genesis of how I started my marketing company. And what did you call it then? Gosh, this is embarrassing. I called it first class marketing group. I remember sitting in my bedroom. I'm like, huh, keep in mind a 20 year old, right? What sounds really official? What sounds super legit and corporate? So that's the name that I came up with after maybe brainstorming 30 names. And that's the name I really came up with initially. And I had the name really until not that long ago, until 2019 is when we rebranded as Need Clients Now. But that was how I came up with the name. What sounds really official is is really what I thought in my mind. You just said that you had that name for so long, then you rebranded and your company name isn't expected. It's not an expected name. And how did you come to Need Clients Now as a business name? It really comes down to the experience. At the end of the day, as a marketing provider, as a marketing agency owner, at the end of the day, what people want is they want to grow their business. And in order to grow their business, they need clients. So over the years, that's what I realized because the first six, seven years of the company, we were what is called experiential marketing. That's what we did. We did a lot of special events and I love events and I'll probably never stop doing events in my lifetime. I'll be in the senior citizen home producing events for the senior citizens. I really think so. It's just a passion of mine. And so as an experiential marketing agency, it was amazing. But anytime I'd meet someone at networking events or really anywhere and they say, hey, oh, you do marketing. Can you help me get clients? And I'm like, oh, I can put on an amazing event and I can staff your events and I can come up with experiences. But really, at the end of the day, I really think small businesses, they need clients and they need them now. That's really how I come up with rebranding to need clients now. And what we do now is we do funnels as a service. And so we build, produce funnels, and we do a done-for-you service. And we're not just producing it, we're driving traffic to it. And so what we do really brings results for the companies we work with. And it brings them quickly because at the end of the day, when you do marketing, there are some marketing initiatives and tactics and services that really can take a long time, like maybe video content and SEO and blogs and probably hundreds of other marketing services that might need that traction. They might need three, six months for you to actually start seeing results. And I found that small business owners, they're very impatient and they right. want to see results and they want to see them quickly. So we rebranded as Need Clients Now and it's been awesome. I really love this service. Out of all the marketing services that I've offered since 2009, funnel building is really amazing. So let's talk about that. So describe what a marketing funnel is for those who don't know. I really ventured into digital marketing, immersed myself in traffic and conversion, learning from click funnels. But before that, if you would have said, Natasha, describe your marketing funnel, it'd be like funnel, like funnel cake. So (laughs) (laughs) describe what that is. And then also how you help your clients. And I want to know the measure of success that you go for when you serve your clients. So that's a three-part answer. Go ahead. Awesome. All right. So really, at the end of the day, what a sales funnel is, is just a path to conversion. It's the process. It's the strategy and execution of how clients are finding you and then how you're converting those clients. That's really all a sales funnel is. And I know people like to overcomplicate it, but there are very basic elementary sales funnels. And you know, one of the most basic one is a newsletter opt-in. And now we have that email address. And now what are you doing with that email address? Are you sending them emails, right? So that's one of the most common sales funnels. And people may not know it as the term sales funnels, but that's a, an example of 
collecting someone's info and then continuing to market to them in some capacity. And really that's all a sales funnel is. And so what we do is we strategize which is the ideal sales funnel based off of your business model, based off of your target audience, based off of a lot of different factors, your price point, and so forth. And so we really dig deep into learning who our clients are and who they're serving. And then we strategize, okay, based off of those factors, this is the funnel that we're proposing. And this is the traffic source. And then, of course, you got to go out and test it. So there, right. again, there's You're so many different You're doing A-B testing. So Absolutely. can you describe a couple of different sales funnels and who they may be most useful for. And I think what's always very helpful is who they're not useful for. A great question. My favorite sales funnel is a webinar funnel. And so I know for us in the marketing industry, we may see it as, okay, well, I've sat through many, many webinars and they're trite and I'm over it. But for a lot of other industries, it's still kind of a new innovative concept. And I love webinars. And the reason why I love them is because where else are you going to get a chance to market to people on a one-to-many basis, right? And so for you to produce a funnel for whatever industry you're working with and say, hey, Mr. or Ms. Client, you're going to have 100, 200, 300 of your prospects. They're going to listen to your message for 45 minutes or 60 minutes, or 75 minutes, whatever it is. And you're going to take them through a journey of sharing your background and your story. And throughout that journey, people are going to end up liking you and trusting you. And they're obviously going to know you after spending so much time with you. And then, of course, depending on the business model, depending on the target audience, if you have an amazing offer, a percentage of those people are going to take advantage of the offer. So you asked earlier about what are the measurements, right? At the end of the day, that's what matters. What are the results? So when we do, as an example, using the webinar funnel, we have various KPIs. Number one is how many people are registering. That's important. You're not going to get a lot of attendees if people are not registering. And so we have the capacity. What to is the attrition for registration versus showing up? What is a really good attendance rate? If a thousand people register, what is a successful number that attend? We did one really maybe seven weeks ago, and that had 70% attendance and uh, maybe 74%. Boy, was I very ecstatic. And I was telling our client, this is not normal. This may not be the case. What is normal? What is the normal? 30 to 40%. So what happened there? Was there a giveaway or a freebie or a lead magnet that really was attractive to the people that were going to attend? What happened is that client took a break. And so she hadn't done a webinar in quite some time. So it was the same tactic that we've done before with that same client, but it's just been a long time. So that's really all I can think made a really big difference in the show up rate. But it's important. We have a, what I like to say, omni-channel approach when we do these webinar funnels or any funnels is, for example, for the webinar, we're going to be reminding them in a variety of different ways. So we're going to send them a text message. We're going to send them an email reminder. We're going to send them a ringless voicemail, right? Because not everybody is reading their emails. And so sending a text message, that's going to increase your show up rate. And then a ringless voicemail, it's like, hey, what the heck? Someone just called me and I missed this call. And it's like, hey, Natasha here. And I'm so excited. You're going to be attending my webinar at 6 p.m. where I'm going to talk about ABCD, right? And so that's kind of the name of the game is to have an omni-channel approach. So that's our first KPI is how many people are registering for this special online event, right? And again, I know in the marketing industry, it's kind of, you know, trite and we've seen hundreds of them. We've probably attended hundreds of them, but for other industries, believe me, when I pitch a webinar funnel to some of these clients are like, wow, 
I did not know what is a webinar. I've never attended one. And it's kind of cool. And of those 70% of people that attended the webinar, what was the buy rate of the end product? That one did really well. This is a local client that we worked with. And I think at the end of the day, this client generated $40,000 for an hour and a half of their time. So it was around $40,000 for the products and the services that that client sold. So it's something she's very happy with. Right. So that's a great number because that's a numeric that's cash. But do you know the percentage? So there's 70% of the RSVPs that attended. Of that, do you know the percentage of who bought? On average, we see 10% is pretty normal. I think that one we had slightly above Mm -hmm. average. So we on average see anywhere between 10 and 20 is fairly normal. So what can you teach our audience in about five minutes about digital marketing and automation? What's the most important things they need to know? The most important thing you need to know is you actually have to launch your automation. You need to understand automation and you need to develop your own specific use case for your business. And so you'd be surprised, Natasha, lots of companies, they still don't have CRMs. They really are still working off of, I don't know, paper, pen, Excel, whatever they're using. I kid you not. So I guess the first step is you actually have to have some of these tools that are going to make your life easier, right? A CRM is going to make your life a lot easier. And if your CRM, whichever one it is, but should have some type of obviously email capacity. And with that email, you should have some type of automation. So if people are opting into your list, right, you should be able to start sending them messages and sharing your story. And do you have preferred CRMs and email or do you have something proprietary within? And how do you suggest that to your clients? I really consider our company like we're vendor agnostic, right? So a lot of like our competitors, marketing companies, they're affiliates of the software and they're pushing that software and that's fine. Affiliate marketing is cool. But I have found that really any experienced marketer, any competent marketer is going to be able to implement the same tool. So at the end of the day, some clients are like, hey, we've used this tool, we've used Salesforce, we use whatever it is for years and we're not changing it. Okay, no problem. As long as it has what we need in order to build our tactic, our strategy, our funnel, that's perfectly fine. So I always say that we're vendor agnostic. Of course, internally, we use active campaign in our industry and in the funnel as a service industry, high levels has really become very popular. And so there's so many companies. And at the end of the day, as long as it works, that's all that matters. I think sourcing and qualifying very viable options, especially in digital marketing, is pretty tough because a lot of them do have such a great service and their differentiation is so small. I know that for me, I was looking at a different host for my podcast I was using anchor.fm and I was given so many options to use instead, Captivate. I mean, there are just so many. And when I look through them, I'm like, oh, they all do the same thing for the most part. The pricing's pretty close, but ultimately the UI of one of them that is really up there, I couldn't take it. It was so outdated that it made me think that their service was outdated and ultimately didn't go with them. So trying to source and qualify in this day and age, it's a good problem. There's just so many good options out there. 
I'm the same way. That's how we judge and evaluate companies. And that's how buyers are. That's how prospects are. When they're evaluating working with your company, they're going to look at your website, right? They're going to look at your landing pages. They're going to look at your social media. And if it's not up to date, what happens in the prospect's minds is like, hey, there's something fishy. Maybe they're not operating in business anymore. Maybe they just don't care about their clients or why aren't this? Like, those are the things that pop up in my head. And I think yours too, because I'm the same way. If the UX sucked, it's going to drive me crazy. So I agree with you, but I like, do like high level. The reason I like it is because when you set up a CRM for a client, my favorite aspect is we're able to listen to the calls. We're able to start evaluating some of the sales conversations. And that's how we start optimizing the marketing based off of what are the objections that this client is getting? What can we put on the landing pages and on the sales pages and on the videos? So for us having an easy ability for us to come in and listen to some of those sales conversations, it's invaluable. So sales funnels on websites pretty much look the same. There's a formula and a format that has been really adapted in the industry. It must work since everybody's using it. Do you have a stance upon just use what works or are you trying to innovate outside of what everyone else is doing? Good question. It really isn't just like this is the type of template that works across the board. It really is contingent on a lot of different factors. So at the end of the day, there are certain pieces that you need to have in your sales funnel, depending on the page, right? And like one of them, as an example, is you need to have an attention grabbing headline, right? So that's obvious, but you'd be surprised how many companies just miss that part. And that's the most important part. That's the first thing people probably see. You need to have a prominent call to action, right? And so these things seem trivial to us, but they make a huge difference. You need to have social proof, right? If you're asking someone to take some type of action, to download something, they want to see that other people that have taken that specific action, right? At the end of the day, if you're asking people to give you their contact info, it's an even exchange. It's a barter. It's like, fine, I'll give you my info in exchange of this dangling fruit that you have there, but it's got to be really good. It's got to be irresistible. So now we're talking about lead magnets. You need to have an amazing lead magnet. So it's really important. So switching gears away from what you do specifically, as a CEO of a million dollar plus company, are you working in the business day to day with the clients doing the strategies? Or are you working on the business? A little bit of both. Not too long ago, about three months ago, I hired a COO. And the objective there was for me to really not be so involved on client calls, for me to really step away and do more of things that really excite me versus being on client calls. So a little bit of both right now. It's a little bit of both. But in the near future, I'm really trying to get away from working so much within the business and on the business. Right. And so how many employees do you have currently? Nine. Nine. And who in your company today is managing the nine of them? It's not just one person. So we have like the COO as well as our CMO. So our CMO is someone that I've worked with for a very long time, about six years now. And so he's integral in his involvement with all of the clients that we work with. So it's a couple of different people, our chief operating officer and our chief marketing officer that are mainly client interfacing and then delegating to the rest of the team. Yeah. So when I speak to entrepreneurs, typically you start out being an entrepreneur because you have a passion for what you're doing or a passion for what you're really good at. And then when you start building a business, there's a whole slew of skills that you don't have. Hiring and firing, reading and analyzing P&L and balance sheets and creating culture and core values. 
And it's really hard for entrepreneurs to grow into being the visionary and working on the business. So I always like to kind of gauge where people are in that journey. Yeah, there are aspects that I hate and aspects that I love, like anything finance related, HR related. It doesn't make me really excited. And then project managing either, right? And that's kind of why I brought in a COO to help with those efforts. My passion, I'm an extrovert. I love meeting with people. I love meeting new people. And I also love pitching. I love business development. If I can really do that all day, if I can be the sales guy in my team fully, like that'll make me a happy camper. So I've learned definitely over the years that hey, you can't do it yourself. You obviously need a full team. And I'm really happy and blessed that over the years I've built a team. I'm very proud of the team that we have now because I know we can generate results for lots of companies and we can serve people. And that's really what's most important at the end of the day. So what is one of the biggest challenges that you're working on now in your business? No matter how successful an entrepreneur is, there is always a challenge that you have to face and overcome. What's happening right now? Right now, I'm really working on my personal brand. And this is an example of me working on my personal brand. So I've been doing marketing. I started the company a long time ago, and I've always been behind the scenes. And that's one of my core initiatives for 2021 is to really build my personal brand. And so that's really what I'm focusing on. So we're launching my own website and I'm averaging a bunch of podcasts each month and putting out some personal content, right? And despite me being an extrovert, it's different for me. Like I love meeting people when it comes to like being on camera and recording content and things like that. It's a different type of beast. Uh, Are you creating that personal brand to feed into your core business? To a certain extent, yes. And I'll tell you kind of the genesis of how I started focusing on this goal I had a call on a Facebook friend and it's a former client and friend of mine that I've has been my Facebook friend for, you know, 10, 11 years. And he said something like, I need a sales funnel. And I'm like, Jay, like, uh, I check your DMs. I can help you with this. He's, I have a question about sales funnels. We hopped on a call. I was showing him a couple examples and he's like, oh my gosh, I didn't know you did this. And I'm like, okay, if my own friends, if my own network, right. And these people don't know what I do. You know, what do they think you did? <laughs> well, well, that's because I'm a, kind of a private person. Like on my Facebook, I put stuff about my hobbies and personal interests and cooking and a lot of funny stuff and satire. And I don't really talk a lot of business, which is interesting as a marketer. It's almost like an oxymoron. The, the, it's pretty <laughs> typical. I mean, I think a lot of people that work heavily in social media don't have a social media presence. That's really funny. So that's kind of what propelled me to like, all right, enough is enough. If these people don't even know what I do, let me build my personal brand. And that's going to allow for me to serve more people. It's going to build up our organic leads, right? Because we're an inbound marketing company. So we can drive leads and we can build funnels for ourselves. But hey, let's do something different. Let's build my brand and let's have the ability to reach more people in a different way. So that's kind of why I'm focusing on that. So the year 2021 is a year of my personal brand. Great. So you answered actually the next question with that answer, but I'm going to challenge you in a different way. So the challenge that you cited was you didn't really have your personal brand. People didn't know who you were as the CEO, leader, founder of this company. So this year, In addition to working on your personal brand, what is the strategy within your core business 
that you're doubling down on and focusing for growth this year? I think LinkedIn. I've been kind of like, no, LinkedIn, it's not cool. Nobody uses it, you know? And I think we really need to start. We can't continue ignoring LinkedIn. So that's really what I'm going to be focusing on is actually optimizing my profile, doing a better job at doing that, actually really focusing on building my network there. I mean, I have, I think, 600 contacts, which is not that many, but I can do a much better job. We can put out content on there and we can build our network there and we can share a bunch of stuff. And LinkedIn's, they are growing. They're doing LinkedIn events. They're doing a lot of new cool things. So I think they're getting the picture and I think they're really starting to, I mean, they're already kind of the biggest B2B social network, but I really think that their team's doing a good job at coming up with new ways to generate more attention. So for us, it's going to be actually focusing on LinkedIn strategy and maybe do some ads on LinkedIn and also focus on our organic tactic as well so that we also generate more awareness for the services that we provide. Will you do that in-house? Will you outsource it to, I mean, there are some serious, heavy-hitting LinkedIn experts. Would you consider that or would you hire for a role to bring in to do that kind of marketing for your core business? That's a good question because people think like, if you're a marketing company, you should be able to do it yourself. It's a different beast. We might not have that expertise. Right. So internally we're probably going to give it a shot ourselves. And if we find that we're stuck, we're not generating the results, we'll bring in a consultant or maybe outsource that. I actually just had a call with the company that was pitching me. There's just a lot out there. There's automation and there's just a lot of tactics when it comes to LinkedIn. But I think we'll give it a shot first, see and start gauging our KPIs. And then if we're not hitting our marks, then we can bring someone in to help us with those specific efforts. Great. And the last question, I was just curious, I saw that you were in LA for a long time and you moved to New York City, which you're probably in New York. I can't tell from your background, but what made the move? Was it personal or did it have to do with business? And how is business in New York versus LA or does it really matter where you're at? Oh gosh, I love Los Angeles, but I lived there my whole life. And I was like, it's time for something new. And I was already coming to New York on business. I'd come for special events and conferences or client events and meet with clients and so forth. So I was already coming here. And every time I came here, I always had such an amazing time. I always met really cool people. I always just met amazing people, had good experiences. And I knew that at this stage of my life, if I didn't move to New York, if I didn't live in New York, it'd be something I'd probably regret it. And so the way that that happened is a buddy of mine at the time, I moved to New York four and a half years ago. He posted something on his Facebook page. He worked for the NBA, did public relations for the NBA and said, hey, I need to sublease my spot. I'm going to be moving to LA. And it was around that time when I was thinking, like, I think it's time for some type of change. I was just feeling that it was time for me to have a different change of scenery and have kind of a different experience. And I messaged them and I said, Hey, this is perfect. Why don't we swap places? Why don't I stay with yours? And then you stay at mine. Let's do kind of a little trial thing. And literally, I think 10 or 11 days after he posted that I moved my whole entire life to New York. And that's how I came out here. So I love it. Uh, It's been a bit different with the pandemic, of course, pre pandemic, man, New York was awesome. It was hustle and bustle and active and everything you would expect, you know, is amazing. And it's, yeah, I hear you're going to be fully open on July 1st. That's right. Lots of people are very excited for that, but the truth is a lot of people did leave. So 
we'll see what happens. We have Midtown right behind me. And right now we're really experiencing some type of like paradigm shift and remote working and these corporations. So it's going to be interesting what has happened, not just with the pandemic, but also with the work culture. So it's going to be really interesting to see what happens over the next, let's say, five years. But New York will be back. It's getting better, but it'll take a couple of years for it to be back to its former glory. Elias gave us a bit of insight on how they are successful for their clients, as well as what his company's challenges and strategies are for scaling and growing this year. For more information on Elias, please go to the show notes where you're listening to this podcast. For more information about me, go to my website, natashamiller.co. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you loved the show. If you did, please subscribe. Also, if you haven't done so yet, please leave a review where you're listening to this podcast now. I'm Natasha Miller, and you've been listening to Fascinating Entrepreneurs.